Greetings and welcome. It's another edition of the Yanks Go Marching Podcast. Coming to you live from the suburban sprawl of New Jersey and Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. I am Pat McDonald and with me, as always, and recently returned from overseas, is my good friend Chris Kaminsky. Chris, how are you doing? I uh, am holding my eyes open as we speak, so uh, it's a long flight, but I'm ready to go, baby. (laughs) Good old jet lag, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's fun stuff. So before we get into anything tonight, a little callback to our last show. We talked about how uh, U.S. players don't seem to get a fair shake over in Europe. And lo and behold, Roger Bennett of ESPN and the Men in Blazers podcast on the Grantland Radio Network uh, wrote about that very topic. So it was, uh, it was kind of interesting to see a callback to, uh, I mean, obviously he did not bring up the Yanks Go Marching podcast, though he should have. Uh, we've got to give credit where credit's due, right? Exactly. But, uh, yeah, Chris, you're the one who came up with that topic, so feeling a little vindicated? <laughs> well, I don't think it's anything that's too exceptionally uh, noteworthy. I mean, I, it, it's something that everyone talks about. And just to get the background from Gomez um, and from uh, the, the – what's his damn name? You, you would know he runs Red Bull. but Jordan uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty good insight. Um, I think you, you linked to the article from our uh, Twitter page. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, right on there. And it, it's pretty interesting to see just how deep that bias goes. And the, the ending's right on. If we perform well in the World Cup, our players are going to be in demand. And that's the thing we got to focus on. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Let's lead off with some of the uh, biggest news of the week, and that includes a player who's going to try and get into that World Cup conversation. Uh, Maurice Udu, after a very long and drawn-out uh, recruitment process, has finally signed a designated player contract with the Philadelphia Union. Uh, he played one time with Stoke City in the year and a half he was with Stoke. Um, so this looks like definitely a good move in that he will get a lot more playing time. Uh, a lot of controversy surrounding uh, this move. We'll get into that in a second. Just let's start off, first of all, with the the ramifications of uh, this move and uh, its effect on Maurice Adu's international career. What do, you, what do you think about his move to Philadelphia? Well, playing time can only do good for you. I mean, uh, it's... It, we talked a lot last time about, you know, Americans coming back home. This is a guy I think needed to come back, um, get more playing time. There obviously wasn't much of a spot for him uh, in Europe. So getting a lot of time seems to me like to be a good move. And Philadelphia seems like a good landing spot for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> in, the interest of, in the interest of full disclosure, I am a Red Bull fan, but uh, I, I do think that the move for Philly is going to do him some good. He's going to get a lot of playing time, instantly become one of the best players on that team. Um it does – it's odd, though, like if you want to go back a little bit, it does uh, kind of say a lot about the Scottish Premier League and where that stands because he was a star at Rangers but then just was unable to catch on anywhere in Europe. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I think American fans still almost look at – maybe not Rangers anymore but Celtic as a uh, a good <laughs> as a good um, landing spot for U.S. players. But uh, 
I don't know about that anymore. What, got any thoughts on that? Man, not really. <laughs> not much we can say about the Scottish Premier League. Not much Premier we can add to that. <laughs> I'm Scottish, so I'm going to give the Scottish Premier League any play I can. But uh, now on to the controversy of it. I mean, there's plenty of rumors going around that, you know, especially after it, MLS had its bizarre dealings with bringing a player into the league again. Uh, after saying with Dempsey, Defoe, or no, Defoe didn't count in this situation, but Dempsey and Bradley – they did not have to go through the allocation process because they were designated players. Maurice Adu was a, is a designated player, yet Philadelphia had to trade to the top of the allocation order f- to bring him into the team. So the question on every MLS fan's mind and U.S. National Team fan's mind is, is MLS ever going to have a consistent uh, rule book on how we can allocate players in this league? Of course not. It's... It's the worst kept secret in all of MLS is that, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to increase their bottom line to help the L.A.'s and the New York's of the world, sorry, uh, to help the big players come back and cut their own deal. But at the end of the day, as a single entity thing, they're going to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and there's not going to be any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, I I mean, I... I think this is the one hope we have. The collective bargaining agreement expires before the 2015 season. And we can only hope that the players take a stronger stand than they did in 2010. Um, the plus is that the league is far better off in now than it was even three, uh, four years ago. So the, the players definitely have a bigger leg to stand on. Um, but this whole allocation thing, it really does piss me off because it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Not only do the rules not make sense, but it's almost as if American players who have excelled and applied their trade in Europe at the higher, highest, you know, echelons of the game, they, they almost get punished for, for traveling abroad and that they can't choose what team they want to go to when they come back. And, and for that matter, Philadelphia can't pay what they want to pay the guy. It's just ridiculous. And you, you wonder, it's almost like with signing Bradley and Defoe, that was great for the league. And the next thing you have is this nonsense going on. And it's like the league, every time the league takes one step forward, they take two steps back. Well, so, clearly they see the problem in front of them is that is if we have this enormous influx of players now and they're all getting this, you know, huge, huge money, then it's going to turn into NSA, uh, NSAL again, right? Or NASL. It's going to be, it's going to be the, the big clubs are rich. They're going to overspend and it's going to, the whole structure is going to crumble. And so now, you know, they see kind of the folly of what they're doing and they're, they're going to try and pull back a little bit, but it, they'll just pull back until the next big name comes, you know, comes out. Like, uh, you know, just, just, uh, uh, what was this week earlier? Uh, I, I saw on, uh, some gossip site that Frimpong, Emmanuel Frimpong was rumored to be coming to the MLS, you know, and he's, he's a head case we don't need, but you think the league wouldn't want to open up the pocketbooks for him? Uh, you know, of course they would. So they're, they'll just make the rules however they want, whenever they want. And there's no one to keep him in check, honestly, because the fans aren't going to call him out on it. There's no media covering the MLS, so they can do what they want. And, you know, this, this brings up another interesting point, is that this league right now is the most top-heavy in terms of salary in the United States. Uh, Bill Reese, who writes for Empire Soccer, a website I also write for, uh, recently covered this topic and showed the income inequality between the players at the top and the players at the bottom of this league. And, you know, it, it brings up an interesting thought. Like, is this league really going to grow? 
uh, by just making it top heavy and then having players who in many cases shouldn't be playing professional soccer uh, at the bottom who really can't make a difference in the game no matter what. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a crime when you think about it. There are players, uh, I know the Red Bulls have done videos about, you know, almost like, you know, the, what was that show on MTV about like, you know, check out my pad kind of show. And whenever the Red Bulls do it, there's three of these lower paying guys sharing a house. Cribs, there you go. Yeah, MLS Cribs is, uh, you know, starring three Red Bull players who can't afford an apartment and they're eating ramen noodles. I mean, is that something else you think they might finally, uh, especially with the, rumor of the uh, massive TV contract coming this way, they might finally address that and start playing these, paying these players something they deserve and, for that matter, uh, improving the talent, being able to hire better well, talent. Right. What do they deserve? I mean, some of these players are just not that good, and the more MLS expands, the more it's going to hurt you know, the the product on the field. I mean, yes, it's getting better all the time, but the, the league keeps expanding, it's keep it's leveling out the player pool. And so some, some players, I know some of the players in the Rapids pool, are, they don't deserve a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, and it's not my problem or anyone's problem for that matter. If they are not good enough for that kind of money, you know, I, I don't, just because you're, you put professional athlete after your name doesn't mean that you deserve professional athlete money, you know? Absolutely, and I, I do agree with that point. I think, but I think some of those players, frankly, if they do this, they low raise the minimum salary. Some players may very well be out of a job, but you know, if they raise the cap, raise the minimum salary, uh, MLS could start, you know, comparing to competing, say, with Mexico, Brazil, for some of the middle middle, middle talent guys, and uh, who are better than what is on bench in MLS today. I, I don't disagree. I just think that it's got to be a, a bottom-up process where we improve the U.S. system like uh, Klinsman was talking about this week and, you know, make MLS better with younger talent and have a better development system from the 17-year-old, you know, age up. And then those players will be good enough to warrant that kind of money. And at least on that level, I think MLS is uh, is getting something right. And we'll probably talk a little more about that uh, later if we have time. Uh Let's transition now into uh, our Yanks Abroad. Take a look at some of the Yanks Abroad transfer news, comings and goings. Uh, one of the longer transfer sagas, uh, jo- uh, Jermaine Jones has transferred out of uh, Schalke on a loan to Turkish side Bestikas. Uh, if you've seen the picture, he, out, he looks miserable. But, you know, hey, that could just be Jermaine Jones. Um, he was someone who was out of favor in Schalke, uh, does need some playing time but he's not someone who can afford to be rusty in 2014 uh Besiktas right now is in third place in the Turkish league uh, what do you think about uh Jermaine Jones is uh, a short-term loan the right way to go should he have maybe sought something out a little more permanent well I, I, listen the the goal is to get enough playing time to to get yourself a spot on the world cup team so I think from that standpoint it's fine uh I don't know what the makeup of Besiktas is. You're missing the sh in Besiktas, I think. But anyway, yeah, Besiktas. Uh, I don't know. It's Turkish. It's got to be. You know, it's all spoken in the throat or something, right? I, don't know. <laughs> I just returned from that part of the world. I should know more. But yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what the makeup of their team is. I don't know if there's room on the field for him. Uh, he really seems to me to be like the perfect prototypical type player for a German system. Uh, but you know, if there's, if there's room for him there and you have to think it's a good move, but 
you know, the Turkish league is kind of, it, it's had better days. <laughs> Even the top level teams have had better days. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I want to see him succeed. I, I just hope he doesn't get buried in anonymity there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think he'll, I think he's, I mean, I think this is a podcast that at least holds Jones and higher esteem than many other circles in the uh, U.S. soccer community. I, I do think he'll uh, get some playing time there uh, and he'll, Come into the World Cup ready to go. I'm not too worried about this. Um, I, I do see, though, I think after the World Cup, especially if he has a good one, uh, he'll be moving on from Schalke on a more permanent basis, maybe even to MLS, because, you know, I don't see Jones being a factor in the 2018 World Cup at this rate. Let's see. Other transfer news. Breck Shea has decided to has extended his loan at Barnsley uh, Championship side in England. Uh, he's been getting some consistent playing time over there. Um, you have any thoughts on uh, Shea and if this is going to get him back into the world? We talked a little bit last week or last time about it, getting him into World Cup uh, picture. You got any thoughts there? Yeah, again, I just I feel like he's not the right kind of guy for that, for the English game. Um, but, you know, I, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I hope he gets more playing time there and, you know, is able to get back on the radar. I'd like to see more depth on the left uh, attacking side for the U.S. So um, there can only be good that comes out of if he gets the playing time and, you know, is able to do something with it. I, I haven't, unfortunately, have not been able to watch any of the games, uh, you know, getting Yeah, because who cares about Barnsley? Exactly. You know, so it's, it's hard to get even like a, a downloadable content or anything like that. Uh, I have been reading has been very active on that team, uh, doing very, making quite the impression. Uh, there is one video out there. He scores a goal against an Irish team in a friendly. And it, it is, it's a nice little, uh, nice little one, two that he, uh, he does with his, uh, teammate. And it, it's, it kind of displays the skill that this kid has. It's just a matter of him putting all, and as has always been the case with him, it's a matter of him putting it all together. And right, exactly, and it's a, it's a matter of him being aggressive. You know, when he has you know run into roadblocks in the past, he pulls back. He he doesn't go at players. He he tends to pass the ball too much. I really want to see him go at defenders and and use that speed, use that little you know flick of creativity to do something. Uh, you know, with the ball rather than, you know, kind of getting turned back a few times and then deciding to withdraw into his shell a little bit. I mean, this one goal, again, came against an Irish team, so it doesn't say much. Uh, definitely displayed that, you know, aggressive attitude. So if, uh, perhaps after the show, I'll try and find the link and we'll tweet it out for you listeners if you haven't seen it yet. Um, all right, let's, let's get on some uh, bigger news about some players that stayed put. Um, there's an interesting debate starting to arise about the striker position in the U.S. national team. Uh, Josie Altador clearly is not playing well on a bad Sunder- Sunderland team, mind you. He's hardly the only person struggling. Um, he has one goal so far this season for uh, the uh, for Sunderland. Um, John Godfrey over at American Soccer Now wrote an interesting article uh, on about two week or about a week ago, uh, saying Aaron Johansson should be the starter right now uh, for the World Cup because, quite frankly, the U.S. just can't afford to have a rusty Josie out the door in that position. Um, Johansson is lighting it up right now at AZ, much like Altidore did before him. Uh, what do you think? Is, do you think it's necessary for Altidore to get on track for him to be the guy 
in Brazil, or do you think it's time to err on the side of caution and you know have move Johansson into that starting position? Well, I think it's time to give Johansson more meaningful minutes in the games that we have coming up, uh, and we'll talk about some of those a little bit later. But uh, there's no room for knee jerk reactions here, and I certainly think that Jurgen's not a knee jerk guy. Uh, so I think. We, we'll, we may see more of Johansson, but it's Altidore's job to lose. He's got to prove that in the context of the U.S. team with the flow that's coming to him, because he finally was getting to the point with, with the U.S. team where he was getting the service where he wanted it. He was delivering. He was scoring. I mean, he scored four goals this past year for the U.S. team, so or maybe more. I don't, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, he, he was playing well for the Nats even after he left AZ. So it's all contextual. He needs to be playing well for the U.S. And as long as he's playing some for Sunderland, I think he's in some sort of rhythm. Um, but it needs to be on our team where he's playing well. And listen, Johansson probably deserves a shot, but he's going to have to kick the door down in order to get Altidore out of there because Altidore's got the physical attributes we need to deal with some of the teams that will be facing the World Cup, specifically Germany. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you. Uh, you know, when Altidore was struggling initially under Klinsman, you know, the big problem was he was not getting service, and that's not at all dissimilar from what he's experiencing right now in Sunderland. Uh, the U.S. finally has that kind of attacking mentality figured out. And he does, uh, you know, play better alongside the likes of Zussi, Donovan, uh, Fabian Johnson, if he can get healthy, uh, and Clint Dempsey. Although we might want to talk about Dempsey in a little bit as well. Um, so, and I, I did write uh, in an article on Empire this week. It was just a br- very brief blurb about Outdoor that for those really worried that he, you know, if he doesn't score any more goals for Sunderland, that's it. He's just he's not going to do it for the U.S. Uh, we only need to look south of the border at a player who can just completely stink at the club level and really start lighting it up at the national team level. And that's G- Giovanni Dos Santos, who, you know, has been a U.S. killer even when he was playing not at all on the club level. Right, yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting, too, yeah, to see just Dempsey struggled a little bit playing for Fulham as well, you know, and Fulham's not yeah. a very good team, but – uh, it, it is an interesting thing to see again these these uh, attacking players struggling in Europe. I, I'm not sure what the what the answer is to it. Yeah, and I, w- I wanted to touch upon that. Um, you know, it, is what is going on with Clint? Is he? I mean, I've yeah, I haven't had a chance really to watch Fulham, but what I'm reading is he does not exactly look like he's fit yet, even uh, though he's been back for a couple weeks now. Um, I mean, he did not exactly take MLS by storm when he came back. Is it just a prolonged, you know, is, is it prolonged rust? Is it, you know, is age, even though he's, you know, only 30, catching up to him? I mean, what could possibly be going on with Clint Dempsey? Is this just a phase? Is he going to come back to Seattle? I mean, do you have any thoughts what might go on there? Sure, I've got lots of thoughts, but, I mean, they're all just speculation. I mean, he's he's he hasn't looked the same to me since he came to Seattle. Right, um, right. And he has he's lacked that fire, which we really identify with Dempsey, you know, mm-hmm. Um that that to me is concerning because he is a he's a, a mo- I mean he's a you know very good tactical player when he wants to be but he's an emotion player um, and he's got to he's got to play you know full engines uh, you know to be effective and he, and you and that's one of the things that we love about him is that he wears is that emotion on his sleeve mm-hmm. uh, but you know 
whatever happened to the guy that was doing all the rap videos and the you know the weird stuff the guy who had that attitude i want to see the attitude more i don't know where it's gone um but he's got to get it back and he's got to get it back quick um because frankly uh i think there's no player that the u.s needs more to be himself because he exemplifies those attitudes of you know hard scrabble roll up your sleeves we're gonna we're gonna outwork you uh, you know, and we're going to stick the dagger in you when it hurts the most type player. And that's exactly the attitude we need going into the World Cup. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I can't agree with you more. Um, you know, he that be you know, all this being said, I think he will get untracked. I, you know, I, I think what he's experiencing, many uh, players when they make that midseason transition to MLS have experienced Tim Cahill and Thierry Henry are two stars of the league now who, when they first came in for the first half year, couldn't do anything. So, I mean, I do think by April, the latest, we're going to see Dempsey start looking like the Dempsey of old. Um but you know, well, do, you think, do you think it's the physicality of the MLS? I mean, is that what people really struggle to get used to? It's possible it's that. I, I I will admit I'm not excited about any player I give a crap about playing on turf. Uh, you know, uh, so that's just an added uh, negative factor to his body. Um, but I, I mean, I, again, I do think he will come around because um, I agree with you. I, I think it's that emotion is sorely needed on this American team. Uh, let's see. Okay, so. So another uh, interesting topic around the uh, the national team right now is the issue at right back. As of right now, Brad Evans is the starter, and we'll very likely see him play against South Korea tomorrow night. But um, Blake Thompson over at American Soccer Now, which, by the way, people, if you're U.S. fans, you got to be on this website. they got great news every day, um, wrote an article about what is Jeff Cameron's best position. And uh, he pretty much highlights how this guy for club and country has over the past year and a half, excelled at the right-back position. His best ratings have come for the national team at the right-back. Um, so it, it leads many to wonder, then why is Brad Evans still in that position? Uh, do you think at this point, Jeff Cameron, even though uh, Klinsman is still tinkering with that position, do you think Jeff Cameron is going to be our guy lining up at right-back uh, at the World Cup? Would that, would that him lining up at right-back make you feel a little more comfortable about the position? Well, I, it's, certainly it's on the table, right? But, you know, a, a lot of players play out of their best position on national teams for the benefit of the team as a whole, you know? Um, so I think at the end of the day, uh, it's more important to Klinsman, from what I've seen, that those two center backs work well together and have a good understanding of each other and with uh, with Howard. So I think those are the, the positions he's going to settle first. He's shown some flexibility with his guys on left back and right back. So I, I think he, he wants to be really comfortable first with what the center backs are doing and then move to the outside. But I, I don't disagree that right back's his best position. It just may be that he plays out of position because of Klinsman's system. Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility. I, I think uh, – I do think we're going to see him end up at the right back position come uh, Brazil, and I think he'll be the regular there. Um, the any, I mean, right now I think U.S. fans need to forget any hope of having Steve Trondo uh, return to the position – Word out of Germany is that he is once again training on his own hurt. He just cannot get that knee healed. Um, one wild card in this situation, though, is uh, former future star Tim Chandler uh, has recently made a resurgence there in the Bundesliga. He was actually recently related, uh, recently 
elected to the best 11 of the week, um, scored a goal uh, in his most recent match. What do you think? Do you think there's any amount of um, star-making performances this guy can put in to get back into Klinsman's good graces? Absolutely, yes. He's a guy that I particularly think that Klinsman brought him in initially because he wanted him to succeed. He saw him as an important cog in the wheel of the U.S. men's team. He didn't quite seize that opportunity, but I think that he's a guy that Klinsman will give an opportunity to if he continues to play well. Um, and you never know. These coming up friendlies in the spring, it would be a really good opportunity to get him into camp and to see what he's got. He's dealt with the young guys with this January camp, and now maybe he can bring back some of these periphery guys and see how they perform in a in a men's team camp and then decide whether or not to play them yeah i think i mean i think chandler is someone who absolutely has the talent has the ability to even get better over the years maybe be the guy in 2018 uh it will definitely be interesting to see if uh Klinsman gives him another shot if he keeps shining over at nuremberg um for uh see if Klinsman gives him another shot after you know playing a couple more Good matches over at Nuremberg, maybe perhaps in Ukraine. Um, all right, with that all being said, uh, let's move on to the big news. Uh, I mean, I guess it's big news in some circles. Uh, the U.S. plays South Korea tomorrow night in Carson, California at the StubHub Center. Uh, the match will be on ESPN2 at 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, you can figure out the rest of the times, the rest of you crazy time zones. Uh, so, I mean, the big news so far, all the biggest news is that, you know, he sent four players home. Uh, Chris Clute, uh, being at least on this podcast, the most notable, um, what, uh, what do you think? Uh, let's talk about that first. I mean, cause sending Clute home and I mean, if you want to say Seth Zinovic as well, leaves the national team without a natural left back going into this match. You have any uh, thoughts there? Well, I, I was a little surprised that Clute wasn't given more of a look. I, I don't know exactly with n- not a ton of these, you know, well, four players being sent back are that much surprise outside of Clute. But uh, I'm trying to figure out what Klinsman's thinking is with this group. Who's he going to start? Uh, what is he going to try to accomplish? Because this seems very much like a like a training camp game for the NFL where he's, he's going to try to do something very specific. He's not working on a full game plan, but he's going to try and – for example, say, I want to see how the, the midfielders link up with the forwards just, you know, for the first half. And then I'm going to try and work on the defense doing, you know, keeping its shape with, you know, whatever. So um, I, I really want to see how he plans on deploying these players because I don't, I don't see a, a lineup here that I would be really excited to see on the field, to be honest with you. It's just a hodgepodge. I think any excitement in this roster has to do if uh, your team is somehow represented on the field. Like me, I obviously want to see Dax McCarty get some time, but that's just a uh, a wish list kind of thing. Um, but you know, specifically talking about left back, I mean, here's again. I mean, the, the important thing to remember is that this match is probably is the most meaningless friendly. It's it's for shaking off the rust for some players, and then for some players to get in the good graces for some future. Uh, you know, consideration by Klinsman. Um, but, you know, Klinsman today apparently said, don't be surprised to see Michael Parkhurst at left back. Uh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> it's a scary thought to see Michael Parkhurst anywhere on the field for the U.S. <laughs> team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't see a natural, you know, left guy on there. Um, 
but there, you know, there's some young guys that that are pretty supple, you know, in terms of their their ability to move around the field. So maybe he'll he'll try one of them out. I don't know. The the midfield's going to look real weird to me as well, but. Yeah, I, there are a lot of questions there. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see who he lines up at, you know, that second forward attacking midfielder kind of role. Uh, Luis Gill seems to be the kid with the most, uh, the tools for that role, but I don't know without the experience if he's going to get the start. Uh, but I think, I think the only midfielder guarantee is, uh, Kyle Beckerman at defensive midfielder. Uh, that just depresses me. <laughs> My thoughts on on Kyle Beckerman are well documented. Uh, I think Zussi's a real strong possibility too for you know for starting, and um, it seems like Klinsman's liked him a lot lately. He's used Discrude a lot as a second half sub, but he may you know be someone that that we see more of. And I I like both of those guys, um, frankly, for what they bring to the team. Uh, and maybe Mix is a good guy to throw in there because he's he's on form. He's playing over in Europe. He's not just in a you know MLS camp otherwise. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, I definitely would like to see Dick, uh, Mix uh, start at that second uh, holding midfielder, kind of you know be the Bradley esque uh, linking box to box midfielder. I think that'd be a good role suited for him in this match. And uh, I really would like to see him to shine. I mean, he is someone who excites me. He, he is very, um, you know, he has on and off performances, but uh, he's one of those players I'd like to see uh, really use this as an opportunity to cement his place on this team going forward to Brazil. Yeah. So you have a prediction in this one? Do you think, does it even matter if there's a prediction in this one? What, what do you think? How do you think South Korea is going to, how do you think the U.S. going to handle South Korea, who is by the way pummeled by Mexico the other night four to nothing? Uh, yeah, I, I guess predictions don't matter in this but i would expect this to be a pretty pedestrian game i think there's just going to be too many I, I didn't see the box score for that mexico game so i don't know if they played their a team their b team their c team i have no idea uh but i i would tend to think or even i, I haven't done a lot of studying on south korea's uh, <laughs> roster for that game so depending upon who they bring they're they're obviously a team capable of getting a result and they they're uh, pretty pretty reasonably good at uh, doing well in difficult circumstances, obviously not against Mexico, but I think, uh, you know, we certainly can get a result at home, but it, it will probably be a pretty boring game to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm not too excited. I mean, I think it's possible. We'll see some good uh, play between, you know, Zussi, Donovan, Johnson, who are, you know, somewhat familiar and used to each other. Um, other than, and I think, you know, if if lead-footed Rafa Marquez can shut down uh, the South Korean attack, I have all the faith in the world that Beasler and Omar Gonzalez will lock down the middle. Uh, and I think Nick Ramondo will probably be your keeper, and he's just always been solid uh, in that position. I, I mean, I think I think the U.S. will win. I don't think it's going to be a four-nothing sl- uh, slaughter like it was against, uh, like it was for Mexico. Um, but you know. I, I say a good two nothing result where we see a couple players making the names, but I, I don't really see any surprises coming out of this game. Yeah, and I think it, you may see something more like early Jurgen results where you know it's it's one nothing or it's right. two. I mean, it'll be because it, these new guys, you know, it, whether they play or not, they people seem to struggle, especially Americans being indoctrinated into the 
uh, Jurgen way. So we'll see how that plays out with the new guys and being inter- you know, being attacking, being possessive, possession oriented, uh, keeping the you know the right flow and shape and you know whatnot. So well, that that's uh, that does it for the foreign lane. But you know, how about that Mexico? They're back, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right up until the minute they have to play Brazil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're back. Oh, give me a break. Uh, that's our little. Mexico trash talk. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's go on to some other news, some uh, minor notes going on in the world of American soccer. Uh, we have some upcoming friendlies, some confirmed, some not. The one confirmed is the United States will take on Ukraine in Kharkiv, Ukraine, uh, on March 5th. Uh, it's a good opportunity to face off against a solid European side. Uh, all I can say is, from what I'm reading in the New York Times, it's a good thing that Kharkiv is pro-government because it's not besieged by riots right now. So, <laughs> what do you- wants to go to the Ukraine in March? <laughs> Crazy. That's not exactly a very good way to prepare yourself for the jungles of Brazil by going to Ukraine in March. I don't. I really don't know what Jurgen was thinking there, but maybe it was just an open day for both of them. And you know, Ukraine Ukraine can field a good team, so that'll be something you know probably worth seeing. But uh, I, hell, I'm glad I'm not going to be playing that game. I, maybe they just like to do a snow game once a year now. Yeah, there you go. Hey, it worked out last time. Uh, I, I really do think it'll be honest, it's interesting to see if this thing even happens. I mean, this is not the first time this has happened in the United States. They've had to cancel a friendly against Egypt after the first revolution over there. And they had to cancel a friendly a few years back against Honduras because of, uh, of violence that besieged that country. Uh, I mean, th- this one, there was, I mean, for those who were, you know, not in the geopolitical sphere, there was definitely some, insecurity in ukraine uh leading up to the planning of this friendly uh it only recently blew up it blew up after they planned it but um i mean what does the u.s do if this thing gets canceled uh it's a really good question the world cup year i'd imagine they they'd uh, schedule a you know little sisters of the poor type team here at home mm-hmm. just just anything to get the work in yeah maybe maybe canada Good old Canada. Yeah. Our home and native land. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they'd be good to set in uh, Dwayne Drew Rosario if he's still in the picture. I don't know. But, um, the other friendly, uh, pre, at least, you know, before the immediate warm up friendlies that's rumored but not confirmed yet is April 2nd in Phoenix, Arizona against Mexico. Uh, that'll be an interesting one to see the resurgent, whatever, Mexico, uh, play what will likely be a pro Mexico crowd. Um, I will definitely, if that happens, I will be trying to get out there. I've got friend, family out there and a free flight. Thanks to JetBlue Airlines. If you're going to fly, fly JetBlue. Eh, you might as well try and get money. Are you getting paid for that? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm hoping that they'll hear this and then they'll, they'll give us some money. But, but you know, uh, this is what I want to see for that, for that, uh, Arizona match. If it happens is they have to call Zuzi in and see if, you know, Mexico turns him into a saint or, you know, does something to honor him at halftime. I don't know. I really want to see what Mexico does to Zeus. They won't try to tackle him at all. He'll just be able to walk up and down the field at will. <laughs> I don't know. But they owe him, and they better show their gratitude 
if that game takes place. Yeah, I, I would say never underestimate Rafa Marquez and his dickishness. This is probably my rebel bias coming out, but you know, he he could just you know they could say no, let him score, and he'll just like hack him down. So uh, be careful, Zeusy. But uh, <laughs> that will most likely be it's a non FIFA date, so it will most likely be your MLS versus uh, Liga MX guys. Uh, and it should be, it's a good warm up. It's always good to get a good friendly in against Mexico every year. Uh, and they're you, the best really, because you, you never lack for intensity in that, absolutely. in that thing. And, and so anything that can ramp up the intensity and the lead up to the world cup, fantastic in my eyes. Absolutely. And then those World Cup send-off uh, matches, no opponents yet, but the rumors are that they will be held at Red Bull Arena in L.A. and in Florida. Uh, I suppose the good thing about this is that it will mirror a lot the travel that they will have to uh, deal with in Brazil, as they're not really going to be they're gonna be going all over the country there. Um, any thoughts about the locations there? Well, personally, I, I, I do get the idea of trying to travel – you know, and mimic the schedule that they're going to have. Uh, but for me, I would really just pick three places in the South and get it over with. Uh, I, I think there are better ways to prepare them for the travel that they're going to do. And that's going to be uh, rest, you know, and having a lot of time on the ground, being able to work together, work through, uh, you know, some of the tactical things that Jurgen comes up with for these, you know, for these important uh, group stage games. So I would have picked something like, you know, Florida, Atlanta, Dallas, or keep them, keep them relatively close to one another uh, and, and do it that way rather than just fly them everywhere. And I would really focus on getting games in humidity uh, so that there's, you know, a real sense of that. So when they, so when they go to the jungle, they'll be, they'll be set. Hey, the Rebel, Rebel Arena, they'll have this steam coming off the Passaic River in beautiful Harrison, New Jersey to keep them nice and sweaty. Oh, God. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so those are not confirmed yet, but they are rumored. Uh, there was also rumors that they will probably schedule another friendly on the ground in Brazil, uh, much like they did against Australia. Uh, right before the World Cup in 2010. Okay, um, I guess one other. We'll go. We'll swing back to MLS because this is something that kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, as many of you know, starting last year, uh, MLS has started a partnership with USL Pro, where teams can partner up with uh, other teams, sending three players down there to get them regular playing time or whatnot. Uh, well, this year. Los Angeles Galaxy are the, become the first Major League Soccer team to start their own USL pro team. Uh, pro team. So LA Galaxy 2 will start playing uh, in the USL Pro this year. Uh, it's definitely an interesting situation to see these guys stay within the system and play regular minutes, uh, the ones who aren't getting regular minutes. Uh, what do you think this might mean for like the future of the reserves and uh, for the USL Pro itself? I, well, I'm certainly interested to see how it plays out. If they're if they're players that come up through USL Pro are any more likely to make an impact to the MLS. Uh, I'm on record as being, you know, kind of very pro Jurgen in the sense that uh, development needs work, but I think it's what really needs a lot of help is the you know U17s up. Uh, and there's you know, there's always guys. I mean, coming from you know Colorado, Colorado background. Uh, of course, we had so yeah, we had that situation this year uh, with Colorado where uh, Clint Irwin uh, he was anonymous. He played in the USL. He was one of these guys that was you know living with people and doing odd jobs on the side just so he can make enough money to survive. He was about ready to give up his MLS dream, and then Matt Pickens gets his arm broken, and 
you know, he gets a chance and now he sees the starting goal, uh, tending job and, and he looks great doing it, but those, those stories are kind of few and far between. So I think the, the emphasis has really got to be a lot more on the younger guy development rather than re-spinning players who are in their early twenties who maybe haven't had the opportunity to break through yet. Yeah. And, and I think those, those younger players are going to be the ones who will uh, benefit from this the most. Uh, I do think eventually we are going to see every MLS team. I mean, it's not going to happen soon, but I think every MLS team will eventually have a, a two team playing in the USL pro. I mean, this is how they do it in Germany. Uh, you know, one of, uh, one U.S. national team player that benefited from playing time on its, on his, uh, club's second team was, uh, Terrence Boyd, who may or may not make the World Cup. We'll see. Um, so we've seen it work, at least in other countries. It'll be really interesting to see how it happens here in MLS, uh, uh in the United States. Uh, but it, I think it's kind of an exciting development, and I think it will, in the end, help, um, the development and the future of the talent pool of the United States. Yeah, speaking uh, of that, that developing talent pool of the United States, do you have any uh, stories to relay to us from uh, the MLS draft? Any of those guys look good to you or people we need to keep on our radar for the U S men's team? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, I, the only thing and I shared it on the rebel rant uh, is that I talked to somebody who knows a coach from one of the top teams of the league, uh, who told him not a single player on that available on draft day would start on his team or play at all on his team. So uh, I, I do think we're the draft, MLS draft is eventually going to go the way of the Buffalo, but uh, there are some who still some purists who still want to hold on to it. Yeah, not 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 a fan of the super draft, and they can do whatever they want to make it look like the NFL draft, but it's just not the same. And like I say. In, until we're, you know, having a lot more players that we're bringing in through the developmental system, uh, we're, we're kind of screwed. For what it's worth, though, going to the draft is very fun. So I'll, I'll at least say, because you, you what, can run Did they let you drink? What's that? Did they let you drink? Uh, no, they don't let you drink inside, but there's a bar attached to the convention center. <laughs> What's that? How could you be having fun if they don't let you drink? Ah, we ran into people. I don't know. I got to talk to Tony Miola. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's, yeah, I yeah. guess so. Yeah. And that would have been to... cool, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, it was still cool. He was a nice guy. <laughs> so, actually, I, I do want to circle back real quickly to this uh, futures thing. And I want to talk about players like Jose Valerio, who was one of the players who was signed away from the LA Galaxy to Cruz Azul, where he undoubtedly got a pay raise. Um, but he has not played a minute for... Cruz Azul yet, which kind of brings the interesting uh, idea, and it actually very much you know goes to the income inequality top conversation we had earlier. What's good for these guys? Is it good for an, an athlete who has national team aspirations to um, get that payday? That's because considering how fleeting a athletic career can be, it can end in an instant with an injury, or is it important for him to stay with a team like the Galaxy, maybe get loaned out within MLS, maybe play on LA Galaxy too? And get those minutes. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends upon the guy um, and their set of values. Landy Cakes took a lot of flack for you know not wanting to play abroad when his two stints in Germany didn't go well. He came back here, he played really well, became you know the, the most important player in you know uh, United States soccer history. Uh, that worked for him. Other players, I think they need to be, you know, have the constant competition, have the pressure put on them. Uh, I don't know if Valerio's uh, points are that he wants to, 
you know, do in his life and fulfill. But uh, you have to feel if the goal is to play in the World Cup uh, that he's kind of, you know, missing out a little bit. Uh, but it, you know, if he wants, if he's happy there and it's a good situation for him and he thinks he can break through, you know, all, all, all power to him. I, I know I'm sounding like I'm inconsistent on this point. Um, cause I, but I don't really think he's that big of a, of a option for us in the world cup anyway. Well, and that's, that's absolutely true. He was, he was a, the longest of long shots for 2014. He, he's definitely in the conversation for 2018. So, I mean, this could be just a blip on the radar and he could very well be playing regularly for the four years leading up to 2018. Um, I mean, if he somehow manages to battle into that lineup at Cruz Azul, great. Um, but I, I do, especially considering interleague loans have been introduced this year. I think there have been plenty of teams in MLS who would have taken him and he would have played regularly. And I think it would have been more beneficial for him short and long term. Although, admittedly, at a lower pay rate. Um, yeah. That's pretty much it on the American front. Uh, the one little fun topic we can still talk about is Canada. Good old Canada is going to be bidding for the 2026 World Cup. Our neighbors to the north want to host it. In what stadiums? No one knows. But... They're putting in for it. Uh, what do you think about the Canadian World Cup? Are you, you, would you head north of the border if it happens there? Uh, where I go, sure. But, I mean, doesn't Canada know that they should just, you know, be at the back of the line? We're at the front. They should just take our table scraps. This is what we should do. We should have a joint U.S.-Canada bid because, you know, FIFA likes that sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, say we'll give, you know, the the Canadians a couple good games, but the, the but the uh, kickoff game in the final will be in the U.S. and everyone will be happy. But, you know, I really, I don't know. I, I don't know who else is bidding for 2026, but it who cares? Who cares at this point? Uh, I, I, I'm just so jaded over the selection process, you know, after we got it right in the ass from FIFA that, you know, I just don't care anymore. I mean, I'm just going to focus on our teams, our players, our coaches, and what we can do rather than where the games are played. Yeah, well, I mean, if we, if we got one hopes, Seth Blatter might be dead by then. <laughs> yeah. That is the greatest and worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I, I would certainly, as uh, someone who is the grandson of Canadian nationals, uh, I would love it. I mean, I would love to see the U.S. if they played up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I can go back to where uh, my family came from. That'd be great. Um, but other than that, uh, the only thing I can, I guess, really talk about is uh, the most exciting thing we can talk about is who will sing the Canadian World Cup anthem? What Canadian artist would be the best person suited for that job? Oh, come on. It's Celine Dion, obviously. Celine Dion? You think so? You think oh, you're yeah. going to go? What about Brian Adams? No, 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 no. He's not dignified enough. What, what about Rush? Uh, pass. Uh, how about the guy who sang Life is a Highway? I don't even know his name, but he is Canadian. <laughs> you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel after four and Life is a highway. <laughs> Be a lot of fun, yeah. I mean, come on. World Cup is a highway. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be a good time. Yeah, whatever. All right. That's about all we have uh, on this edition of the Yanks Go Marching podcast. Uh, if you want to check us out, our website is yanksgomarching.blogspot.com. If you want to get in touch with us and ask emails from the questions of these experts, you can email us at yanksgomarching at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash yanksgomarching. Twitter at yanksgomarching. 
You can follow me at PMACD82, and you can follow Chris at Chris Kaminsky18, and you can also follow our good old producer, Jason Ipico, at Dr. Stooge. Check us out, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, leave us a uh, comment, question, or comments, thoughts, ratings. It will really help us out. Uh, with that, you got anything else, Chris? No, I'm just going to go bundle up with uh, about four layers of blankets because it's a lot colder here than it is in the Middle East and uh, look forward to watching this game here in a couple days. Absolutely. And we'll probably bring you a recap of that sometime next week. All right. Thank you for listening. For me and Chris Kaminsky, this has been the Yanks Go Marching Podcast, and we'll check you later.